I think we've been in this space where everyone thinks they know what screen sharing is and it's terrible. We already know like it could be so much better than what it is. We enable collaboration at a deeper level than many of the other tools that are out there. You don't spend your time focusing on chatting and just looking at each other, but you're spending your time focusing on the work that actually needs to get done. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we've got two guests, Max Andeker and Jason Thomas. Hey, Max. Hey, Brian. How's it going? Good, good. And Jason, you're here as well. Hi, Brian. How are you doing? Excellent. Hopefully the listeners can distinguish who is who based on those hellos. But uh, <laughs> I invited you on Jamstack Radio to talk about your project you're both working on, uh, which is called CoScreen. So, Max, why don't we start with like what you do at CoScreen, who you are, how you got here, and then we'll go with Jason. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Max Handocker. I'm the co-founder and CPO at CoScreen. And uh, I've been full-time at CoScreen just about a year now. Before that, I was working at uh, Nestle at uh, an innovation lab here in San Francisco. Before moving to the Bay Area, I spent eight years in Switzerland. That's also where I got to know Till, who is our third co-founder, who is in here today. But uh, I actually come from Sweden originally, so I've been living abroad for the past 12 years or so. Excellent. And Jason, you're, uh, <laughs> you're stateside, but yeah, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm the co-founder and CTO of CoScreen, Jason Thomas. I've worked for various video conferencing-related projects and startups over the last 15 years. I was the first full-time engineer at HireVue, which is a video interviewing startup. And I've been programming since I was eight years old. I still love it to this day. It's my, my hobby and, and my job. So, Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I have not been programming since eight, but it is definitely my hobby and job <laughs> as well. Uh, so I guess what everybody's probably wondering is, what is CoScreen? So do you, you all want to take a crack at your, your pitch? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, so essentially, we say the CoScreen is a deep collaboration platform for engineering teams. And what we mean by that is that we enable collaboration at a deeper level than many of the other tools that are out there. And what exactly do we do? We can say that we do an advanced form of screen sharing. And if you look at how screen sharing works in tools such as Zoom, it hasn't really changed since NetMeeting back in 96. Uh, what we do that's very different is that we let many people share their screens or windows at the same time and interact with those windows as if they were their own. So we're creating this much more dynamic environment in which you can collaborate. You don't spend your time focusing on chatting and just looking at each other, but you're spending your time focusing on the work that actually needs to get done, which is usually attached to your screen. So that's CoScreen. You know, it's very useful for things such as pair programming, uh, different forms of team check-ins, uh, but it goes much further than that, right? We have a lot of users using call screens for, the, for very different things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it sounds like, Jason, you come from this space as well. You had mentioned off-air, but uh, your previous startup was in this space as well in video conferencing? So a higher view, I wrote like sort of the original video conferencing platform, and that was like pre-WebRTC. It was... Um, basically a flash-based thing. I wasn't very proud of that at the time, but that was like what we could deliver via the web. Before that, uh, I worked at a company called Sorensen Communications, where we basically made the first mobile VRS solution. So VRS is basically what people that are deaf or hard of hearing use to do sign language communication over a phone. So that basically have like a 
an interpreter that's like in the back end somewhere, right? So we have this big building filled with a bunch of interpreters and then they would pull out their Android phone. And this was like at the time of G1 and, and iPhone. So it was like this very revolutionary idea that such a thing could be done on these devices. And we didn't have any idea if they'd be powerful enough to do it. And so I basically put together the software for iOS and worked mostly on like the codec and the, you know, SIP and H323 pipelines and all of the sort of low level video conferencing aspects on both of those platforms and delivered the solution to a bunch of customers. It was a company that served tens of thousands of deaf and hard and hearing people. And before that, I worked not really in video conferencing, but for a company called Ibon that was doing sort of in the HD from SD transition period on the set-top box that they used for doing high-definition video. So that's sort of where I got my original sort of video-related chops. And so I've been working in the space for a very long time. And as it's evolved and changed over the years and now become just sort of this very common commodity that people consume. And so CoScreen's kind of our attempt to break people out of this uh, monotony of what screen sharing and video conferencing has become and trying to build something that's going to be you know, less about screen sharing and video conferencing and kind of more like this parallel interaction platform that people don't even think about. It just sort of fades into the background. Yeah, awesome. And I'm curious, Max, the... You mentioned your co-founder had the idea for the well, the third co-founder had the idea for the project. But what's your background in the space, and also what's the background of how this thing all got started together? Seems like a couple of years y'all been chatting about this and working on it, uh, but recently took the seed funding. So yeah, heard, interested in hearing that story. Yeah, sure. So essentially, our third co-founder and CEO Till Peeper, who's not here today, he was working at SAP at the time in the the SAP labs in Palo Alto to be specific. And uh, he had this idea, you know, how do we make collaboration more interactive? Uh, you know, how can we create this experience where you feel like you're almost sitting side by side? So he started the Skunkworks project, which he was working on at SAP at the time. But then fast forward, it wasn't the focus area of his unit at the time. So he managed to get that spun out at the, as a side project. And that's when he pitched it to me and I immediately got very interested. So we knew each other from when we had work, been working together back in Switzerland and I was at Neste at the time. Obviously, I was in FMCG, but I'd always worked in different types of product and uh, tech-related roles. And he pitched this, you know, I could very much relate to it because I always had to work with people remotely. I always had this challenge of how do you make this flow efficiently? I was trying to hack things together using different tools, but whatever was at our disposal through... Skype for Business, the Office 365 package, but it never felt really good. So I thought, okay, this is a great opportunity here. Essentially, that kicked off a journey where we were trying to use the prototype from SAP to build something a bit more solid, but we realized that we needed a a solid technical co-founder to get involved in all this, and that's when we posted an ad on AngelList. That's how we found Jason. And we kept on working on this as a side product, the three of us. But I'd say fast forward to end of 2019, we had come to a point where we thought, okay, we've built something that it's just about good enough. And we really want to see what people think about it. So we posted it on Product Hunt and Hacking News. And it just blew up on Hacking News. It stayed on the front page for close to the whole day. We got a t- couple of thousand signups during that time. And I think that really gave us the confidence to pursue this as a potential full-time job. That's when we went out to raise money. Of course, right after that, the pandemic hit us. It's not something that we saw coming, but of course, that helped us a lot. And yeah, for the past year or so, we've been working on developing this for Mac OS and Windows. And just last week, we released these two versions officially, and uh, we got some 
really good press behind it, both in TechCrunch and VentureBeat. And uh, we also, again, stayed on the first page of Hacking News for the whole day. So, yeah, we'll see where this takes us. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. It's great to hear, too, as well. Y'all got in before everything sort of shut down, but also the tool you're building kind of leans into the situation because like yeah it's like purely incidental because it's weird because like yeah to begin with we were not necessarily even planning it just to be a remote tool right because we used it a lot just kind of in the same area right like you could be in the same area and be throwing windows to your partner on your local area network and stuff yeah that's definitely a huge use case of it but it turns out that the remote aspects of it are are much more compelling but you know when when the pandemic hit you know we already had the term sheet you know the business was a sure thing and then the pandemic hit and as terrible as, as this has been you know for us at least there was somewhat a silver lining in proving out remote work and that remote work can be a thing and that it's something that's here to stay yeah yeah that's excellent and like i've been doing i've really leaned into the remote work i i came from a, a world where I, I traveled every month and was on the road so it was hard to stay consistent on projects that needed my full attention so a lot of projects that stalled or staled throughout the years but this year has been quite different for me, where now I can access all my team from anywhere. <laughs> yeah, from anywhere. Yeah, yeah I can pair program on things. Get, I had to ship a new project onto some internal cloud systems that we have at GitHub, and to be able to sort of ping someone, jump on a, a quick call, and say, "Hey, okay, I don't understand this Kubernetes thing. Can you please, <laughs> please explain this to me and let me watch you do the magic?" To whole other world. But speaking of whole other world, you mentioned a term. I forget who you might have been, you Max, but. I'm curious what you meant by advanced screen sharing, uh, what that sort of entails. So advanced screen sharing in our case, and we sometimes talk about deep collaboration as well, is essentially this idea that we wanted to make more of a conversation around what you're working on. So what's happening in Zoom and other screen sharing tools today is that you effectively have to take turns. So you know, either I share or you share. If I want to control your window, I have to ask for control rights, or maybe I even have to ask for presenter rights in order to show. And this creates sort of a walkie-talkie effect where it's either you or me sharing. There's a switching cost between us. So what ends up happening is that we don't work as much on what's on the screen as we can. There's just too many hurdles in between us. Uh, so what we usually say is cold screen is more taking the phone approach where we make this completely dynamic, right? I can share uh, my ID with the code I'm working on at the same time Jason might be telling me that, you know, this is not really rendering correctly on my screen. So he brings up his browser, he shares, uh, maybe we're working on a mobile app, we want to see how it renders on the mobile, we bring up the emulator, and all those things can be shared in parallel, right? Regardless of whose screen it's actually on. And it just makes it so much more dynamic, makes it so much more of a conversation. Uh, so we say, you know, screen sharing, as it's done in most other tools, is more like the walkie-talkie type of setup, right? You know, take turns, and it doesn't help you really to have a conversation. Whereas in CoScreen, we really lower the hurdles for you to engage with each other in an effective way. Actually, what happened right before this call is, you know, Jason and I were working on something, and, you know, he just without thinking about it, copy the URL from my window and paste it into his. And obviously, that's not something you can do in any other tool. You can only do that if you can share at the same time. I was even copying things from an editor I had open just into his window. And I'm like, oh, wait, you wouldn't even be able to do this without co-screen, right? This is not even a workflow that's possible. Like Zoom, most other screen sharing tools, they kind of take over your whole screen real estate. Yeah. And they, they're built to do that, right? And you're either looking at the remote screen or you're looking at your screen, right? You're not really switching between those things. 
And so like what we've really tried to do is, you know, create this paradigm that's different than screen sharing. You know, it's kind of more of like this concurrent application sharing. And we think it's this foray into like multi-user real-time environments that we think will become much more prevalent in the future. Maybe it'll even become just a part of the operating system, right? That you have the ability to move windows onto another system, right? Because everything is, we're becoming more network connected, is becoming more interactive. It's becoming more open, right? And the way that operating systems have been designed are not for the internet, right? So like the browser is kind of our window into the internet, but even those things, you're starting to see applications like Figma, you're starting to see applications that are built around this concurrent interaction and why not have everything be built around concurrent interaction? So we're, you know, we're trying to bring the future here sooner with co-screen and it, it's a very difficult task. You know, I think for some use cases, we've hit the mark and for some use cases, we're still working to hit that mark and we'll probably continue to for some time. And something I think is important to mention here as well and why we're targeting developers, I think the reality of how developers work today is that they use a lot of different toolings and it's a very personal thing, what tooling you need in order to be fully effective in your work. At Coldstream, we're not too opinionated in terms of what you share because, of course, there are a lot of other tools there that you share, you know, more the Google Docs approach, right? You, you work on this document together, but you can only work in that specific document or you're using a collaborative IDE development environment, and you can only work on that specific IDE. What we let you do is essentially share your IDE, but in parallel, share your terminal, share your Chrome debug window, share an emulator, work the way you like to work. I love this. And uh, earlier when Jason was talking, listeners couldn't see me smiling ear to ear, but my use case, and actually I'm just going to pitch this at you, because um, we originally got connected through one of my former colleagues and friend who used to work on a whole other screen sharing software. But he entered us because he knows I've been doing a lot of live streaming on Twitch. And the way I sort of approached that is I have a MacBook, and I found that very quickly, if I want to do any sort of processing intensive stuff on my MacBook, I can't do that and stream to the internet at a high bit rate. So I have a second computer that only does the streaming. It's my PC. And it's common sort of setup for most live coding, but also game streamers of having the, the gaming PC and then the, the streaming PC. But what I'm getting at is, I guess the most like struggling part about doing that setup is when I set up my server on my Mac, but then I want to be able to interact with it on my PC. Or if I have a Twitch chat that happens on my streaming PC, I build a lot of Twitch interactions. Uh, I need to connect that to my Mac. When you mentioned about copying and pasting from one browser to the other, like could one use case be, I'm going to co-screen with myself to be able to talk to two different PCs? And absolutely, that's one of the use cases. And we pretty much all of our connections are peer-to-peer at that point. Yeah. And so, of course, you're going to run into similar scenarios, right? Like if your Wi-Fi is not doing very well and it's patchy and spotty, that's actually like the most difficult thing for video conferencing is really that last connection. You know, like if there's noise on your Wi-Fi and stuff, that's often where packets are lost these days. You know, the backbones and backends and stuff tend to be much more reliable once you hit the LAN at transmitting, you know, your video from one place to another. But, you know, we basically do support P2P. And, uh, you know, if you're in the same environment and you're just connecting to yourself, it's literally just going to be a little UDP connection between those two systems. You know, it's going to be as efficient and as low latency as possible at that point. You know, still, you're probably doing very high bitrate streams and stuff. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get past that reality, unfortunately, right? So because we've had some people that have done like uh, streaming with co-screen, right? Like where they, we had like a Elm podcast, which was really cool. We had a user that basically just was showing off coding in Elm with a friend and it worked really well. You know, somehow he had set it up so that, you know, like the, 
bandwidth concerns and stuff just weren't an issue and you had the video conferencing and stuff. It might be a, a, something that we go into in the future. We're looking at other use cases, right? Because we, we know that a tool like this obviously has way more use cases than just developers, you know, actually like screencasting, right? That kind of thing. There's obviously some synergy between what we're building and and that. It's definitely something we'll probably want to look into and like officially support and provide tutorials around and things like that in the future. Yeah, and it sounds like too as well, like even take the general workshop for developers. I have to do it through Zoom because of the current situation. Right. So I want to be able to say, hey, are you stuck on this? Why don't you throw me a crow screen and we can sort of debug it as if it was on the chalkboard. I can share it with the rest of the class. Everybody can sort of follow along. And it's something that's missing in the current environment of like doing a Zoom webinar or a workshop or et cetera. Right. Absolutely. And we have a lot of users who use it for different forms of coaching and debugging. But essentially, any scenario where you can benefit from, okay, here's what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? How is this different? Whenever you have a scenario like that, call screen is super helpful. And you can't really do that in any other tool. Yeah. We even in debug mode have the ability to share co-screen itself. So when we're debugging co-screen, we share co-screen, <laughs> look at co-screen like, hey, look at this UI issue. We share the co-screen UI. We, we've disabled that because it's kind of this inception-like thing, you know, end up with like yeah. Windows and Windows and Windows. But it's a kind of a cool thing that we do in-house to debug co-screen because we're dog-fooding it every day. We use it every day. It's like it's our sole platform we use for stand-ups. It's our sole platform we use for everything. So yeah, We hear lots from our end users how they use it in different forms of onboarding. You know, you have a new engineer on the team. It used to that this person could walk around the office, sit down next to the more senior engineers so the people who have been there for a while, understand their, their setups, you know, understand how to use the tooling at that particular company. That's just not possible anymore during the pandemic. You need to find other ways. And I think, yes, that scenario, it really shines. Yeah, and I think the uh, your debug mode is something I would love to have integrated in something like GitHub, where a PR is open, like it's a PR as a like I can't figure this out PR, so I'm going to give you all the code up front, yeah. and I need you to jump on this link because we're going to have to hammer this out and figure it out. But like the primary platform I've been using as of late has been Zoom, and Zoom is not built for interacting. I sort of have to sit and watch, or they have to sit and watch me struggle through. Wouldn't it be so great to just have a link to what they're working with and be like, okay, let me click over here and do this. I mean, we did this with IT and like being able to have people remote into our systems, which it makes sense to have it in like the developer capacity too. So that war room scenario is one thing because I've, I've been kind of worrying with like COVID, you know, like how do people do a war room? If your server goes down, how do you, you know, like, at HireView, we'd have everyone kind of like get behind a laptop and there'd be one person there logging into the production systems and someone that have Splunk logs and someone would have this log from another system, right? And everyone's bringing their laptops over and trying to like shove them together in order to try to figure out what's going on, right? And with CoScreen, everyone could just join a CoScreen. They could all sit in their office and everyone could just, hey, look, here's the Splunk log. Here's all these different pieces of information we need to solve this production issue that we're having. Yeah, and so you know, that's something that we've experienced in house. You know, we, we have users, but we're you know most of the things that we know about them we've gathered just by talking to them and such. You know, so but we're not quite sure like all the use cases our users are using it for yet. But you know, I think that the limits are endless. I also think you bring up another good point, Brian, which is regarding integration. So we have uh, an integration with Slack already. We have a Chrome extension that works with Google Calendar, but I could definitely see us having something that integrates with uh, GitHub. Uh, you mentioned the uh, PR, or, you know, if you want to jump on a 
into a session from an MR. And I'm the type of environments you're in when you're facing these issues, right? What we often see is that there are different categories of users of cold screen. You have the ones that use cold screen for almost throughout the whole day, several hours in a row, because they're doing some deeply focused pair programming session. But what we see on the other side is that you have a lot of these shorter sessions, right? Where people just check in for 10, 15 minutes to solve a problem. And we tend to think that, you know, those shorter sessions are great because they're a replacement for these uh, longer meetings where through video chat, you would have tried to figure something out and you would feel like most of the time is just a waste. Here, you get more into the details uh, earlier and therefore you solve it uh, Faster, And we also feel that the ideal use of cold screen is not necessarily that you're on it all day. It's rather that you find a good balance between asynchronous and synchronous work, but that when you do those synchronous sessions and you have to be together, that those are very productive and you get into really to this deep collaboration mode that we often talk about. Yeah, and I, I see this as a... Um... <laughs> Going back to the war room, like I've definitely been in those rooms where we all, well, we have the one screen in the room and we take turns airplaying to it and like solving problems and throwing them up there. Like there's another situation like on the support end where I've been in the back room managing curation of content for discussions and community and also Slack rooms as well. Like you want to have that second room where you can have the conversation and the video so you can sort of moderate what's happening. Actually, just over the weekend, we had an issue that came up over on Twitter where someone made a, threw out a concern. I had to bring a couple of different people in from different teams on a Sunday to basically say, hey, um, thoughts, is this important to address? <laughs> uh, and then at that point, we're all in Slack looking at the same channel, just waiting for someone to respond. In that case, it would have been great to say, click, click, click. Yeah, just click, have a refresh. Split. It would have been great to just to drop a link in the chat and be like, okay, let's all sync up, look at the same thing at the same time, and do go through the same sort of. The problem was we had to sort of figure out in the documentation where to get the solution because we all knew, like, we know it's somewhere, but no one knew where it was. So we're all sort of searching on our own in silence instead of we could have been like, okay, actually, it's not there. Check over here. I found it, pull it up. Right. Okay, type it in. We're done. Have a good weekend. Yeah, and so, I mean, we've had that same situation. And I still think, like, the async communication and problem solving is still extremely valuable, you know? Like, I think the un uninterrupted time you get from being in this remote environment is actually really good for some engineers, right? But then those all of that in-office communication is just gone. And I think that there's this inflection point where it goes from solving problems on your own to solving problems together, and trying to make that inflection point as painless as possible is, I think, a big hurdle right now, right? Because, like, if you're doing Zoom, if you're doing Hangouts, you know, it's like, here's the calendar link. Everybody joins in. Everybody stops what they're doing. It takes over their whole experience, you know. Everyone's getting Zoom fatigue and stuff. And so we're really trying to make, you know, we're working on presence right now and some other things to try to bring this all together. But, like, what we really want is for this to just to be something that goes into the background and during our press release, you know, we, we were using it this way. We're like, we're all in basically a war room. There would be times where everyone's on mute and nobody's sharing anything. And then there's times where people start chiming in like, hey, I saw this link. Go to this Twitter link. Pop up a window. We go start looking at this, you know, where we're actively monitoring this real-time situation. It's just, it's just impossible to do with these tools that we have at the moment. Or it's just so inconvenient that nobody is going to do it, you know. And uh, I'm sure there's lots of people that are longing to go back to the office because of that, like you were saying, the the shared monitor and things like that, you know, and maybe CoScreen will never be able to completely emulate that environment, you know, but we hope that we can get 
most of it, you know, that we can do a large part of like what makes that concurrent experience so special, you know, and, and even do some things better. Right. Cause I think the fact you can mix the screen together, it's so non-invasive to bring things up, take things down, you know, that, that in a way is, has some level of superiority over everyone's got their independent device. And so you're even together, but it's like, how do I get that Splunk link to you? And then you go into Splunk and it finds something else in the search box or whatever, right? It's much easier to just say, hey, here's the point in the log that I found that has the problem and show it to everyone, right? Here it is. Like, this is the line, right? I'm on the line right now. It's showing right now. I can highlight it. You can move your mouse over it. We can talk about the words. We have the shared cursor state. You know, I think that that type of collaboration is in some ways superior than to being in the office and saying, Hey, you know, I've got the log here, walk five feet over to me and look at it, you know? So how does co screen sort of stand against, cause I alluded to a uh, screen hero. So my, my former colleague used to work at screen hero, right. everybody, mm-hmm. including myself, like I was sad when screen hero was bought by Slack cause it sort of disappeared. So like, there are other tools that are doing screen sharing. How does it sort of stand apart from all those other ones? Well, so first of all, we're big fans of uh, Screen Hero as well. And it was definitely a precursor to what we're doing right now. I'd say that, and, and we've heard this story from many others, how sad they were, or they weren't necessarily sad when Slack acquired Screen Hero. Yeah, it was more excitement, yeah. More excitement at the time because they thought, okay, this is now going to be made available to everyone. It will be so easy for me to use Screen Hero with my colleagues who don't want to install another tool. But then, of course, what ended up happening is that Slack took another path. It took the path more down regular video chat and just normal screen sharing. I'd say the key difference is that we let several people share window at the same time. So we allow the same type of multi-user player, multi-user interaction with window, but we make it more seamless by... You know, as we explained earlier, I can bring up my ID. Uh, if Jason finds something on Stack Overflow that he wants to talk about in this context, he can bring it up himself. Uh, we don't have to take turns. In Screen Hero, effectively, you still have to take turns to share. That said, I mean, Screen Hero was definitely an inspiration for us. And, you know, there are things that they did with terms of latency, with terms of multi-user input control, problems that we've, we've run into while implementing CoScreen that I appreciate so much more what they were able to accomplish uh, with that product. You know, and it, it was kind of a sad day when, when uh, Slack unceremoniously killed this tool that everyone loved, you know, and he was like the, one of the original software developers of Screen Hero said that he thought that our tool was like as close to carrying on the legacy of Screen Hero of any tool that he'd used. And, you know, I think that, you know, looking at screen.so, I know that they have a lot of the, team there from Screen Hero and such, you know, but I think they're they're trying to build what was already built, you know, and I think we're really trying to make something different, right? We don't want to not call CoScreen screen sharing because I think it's a market and people understand that, right? But I think it does challenge us when we try to explain what CoScreen is and why it's different. People just need to use it, right? And, you know, I think with our or elevator pitch or whatever, right? Like coming up with the way to convey this different concept of how people interact remotely, it's difficult, right? Because you say, well, screen sharing. Well, okay, I know what screen sharing is. They have this preconceived bias of what screen sharing is. And so it's hard for us to to indicate, no, it's, this is different, you know? And, you know, that's even true of Screen Hero to some extent. The Screen Hero had gone beyond just screen sharing, right? They had thought a lot about concurrent interaction. They had thought a lot about how to make this usable remote experience, you know, I think that they kind of started the field that we're jumping into, you know, and like you said, Slack just didn't have the imagination to see 
that future and they, they killed it and didn't extend on it, which is unfortunate. But um, I think we've been in this space where everyone thinks they know what screen sharing is and it's terrible, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, we already know, like just from screen heroes experience, it could be so much better than what it is, you know? And I think co-screen is, you know, I'm hoping more people get to use it and such. They start to realize, you know, it can be even better than that. And it sounds like a good segue into even winding up the conversation. How can folks use CoScreen today? Like, how can I sign up? Where do I go? You just go download it. Just download it. It's on our site. Yes, nice. Yep. It's there. It's available. Download it. Go try it out. It's still in beta. You know, there's going to be issues. There's bugs here and there, but we're working tirelessly every day. We have the best team of engineers I've ever worked with in my life. You know, we've got enough funding to carry us through for, you know, the foreseeable future. And we've got a lot of teams that use us every day and love what we're doing. And we've got a Discord community. Max can drop you the link there if you have people that are interested in in popping in. And we're hoping to create a space that's not just for talking about CoScreen, but that's talking for like deep collaboration in general. Like if people want to come and talk about, you know, remote interaction and tools that help facilitate that, you know, I think those are the kind of people we want to hear from in that community. And, you know, obviously we're hoping that one of those tools will be CoScreen, but um we're really interested in any tools and maybe even integrating and leveraging CoScreen with other tools that help people to to do this type of remote work as frictionless as possible. Awesome. Max, did you have anything else to add? I think Jason summarized it pretty well. Just uh, head over to coscreen.co, hit the download link. It's available for macOS and Windows, but there will be other platforms supported eventually. There will be Linux. So. All right, that's very definitive. Can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate y'all coming on, talking about CoScreen. Uh, I'm actually real anxious to kind of get this in my arsenal for tools. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So start collaborating with other developers and folks in my my community as well. And we love feedback, so please send us feedback if you try the tool. We read all the feedback that's being left at the end of a session. We try to respond to as many as possible as users. So for sure, feedback will never go to waste. Cool. Well, speaking of not going to waste, uh, I don't want to waste our segment at the end, which is called Picks. These are things that you're jamming on, jam picks, music, food, everything. So it could be tech-related as well, like we do have some dev picks as well. So come ready, but I'll open it up to you. Who wants to go first uh, and share some picks? You go, Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say a pick from my side, it, it's more of a, a general one, but uh, we're expecting our second child any day now. And of course, there's a lot of logistics to be figured out around that. Uh, you know, where do we put uh, our previous child, etc. So I think you learn to appreciate the social <laughs> networks <laughs> that you can build up with friends, especially when you live in a place where you don't have family around. So that's something I will always keep in mind for the future, especially as we end the pandemic, like how important those relationships are uh, in your overall happiness. And otherwise, there's, of course, a lot of work on CoScreen right now that we're excited about, but that takes a lot of our time. And I'm specifically there interested in listening to everything that the users have to say and how we get that into the product. Excellent. Jason, you got a pick for us? Yeah, so it is a development pick, so you can't make me switch it. So, like, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've been really interested in and you know, recently working with this tool called Combi, which is, you can go to combi.dev, C-O-M-B-Y.dev, and it's just a really cool little tool that's written in OCaml. It's basically for refactoring projects. So for years, I've used like a combination of said, awk, and grep for, you know, basically 
finding and replacing text across projects, but it's like incredibly haphazard. And, you know, you basically are using Git to kind of evaluate the changes and revert back. Um, also, like, it doesn't really understand the underlying language that you're refactoring. And so, like, if you go and change some text inside of a statement or something, right, sometimes your regex will get messed up on particular lines. You have to go through and, like, tailor it and specialize it. And so Combi is basically like this tool that, you know, basically has a search replace language associated with it. And it understands the underlying syntax of the language that's involved. And then it generates like a really nice terminal formatted diff that you can look at. So like you go and do the changes across the project and then you, you know, you can use this syntax to do almost any language transformation, look at the output and, get this diff behind it before you apply any of the changes. And then you can basically go and apply it as a patch and you can reverse the patch. And so it's this kind of a complete tool for that, that sort of refactoring workflow. And uh, I don't know, I just thought it was pretty cool and something I would share. Cool. Thanks for the the tip. I have a quick tip and it's actually this barbecue rub I've been using uh, on too much stuff. So I've been in Florida for the past three months, uh, hanging out with my, my grandma. So I'm based, mainly based in, Oakland, California, but during the pandemic, just taking care of an elderly woman. And uh, one of the barbecue places I love in Florida, where I'm from, is Four Rivers, and they've expanded since I left. So I haven't been in Florida for like six years. Well, I've been in Florida, but I haven't been like full time in Florida for six years. They've expanded to a point where they have multiple locations across the state of Florida, maybe even Georgia at this point. It's great barbecue, but what I'm getting at is in the grocery stores, their coffee rub is now in the grocery store. So I've been using Trader Joe's coffee rub, which is kind of a mix of coffee, salt, pepper, cayenne, paprika, like all the good seasonings you want to throw on a pork butt or something, or even like a brisket. It's an excellent blend of spices uh, and coffee. And Four Rivers, I think, just sort of knocked it, knocked it out of the park. Uh, it's excellent. And I've been throwing, made a chicken last night. Uh, I made actually a, a Boston butt the weekend before. And uh, yeah, I cannot get enough of this stuff. So I'll need to order a case when I go back to California. <laughs> you can't have it delivered by Amazon? You can't? <laughs> I actually haven't even looked that far uh, ahead. I know they sell it at their local Publix. Uh, it might be a couple other places. So I assume they have distribution somewhere. But when I get back to Oakland, I'll have to figure it out. Your, your grandma is very lucky to have you taking care of her via barbecue. That's like yeah. the... <laughs> Yeah, it, she's guaranteed for me to come back at least another time this year, yeah. just so I can stock up. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have to try that one. I, I'd say during the pandemic, I think a lot of us have been forced to cook more at home than we did previously. I mean, even if delivery services have still been available, I finally got around to replacing my own skillets and pans, oh. and that's been a game changer just uh, in my cooking game. Cast iron? So I have both cast iron, I also bought these uh, fancier uh, non-stick pans, and my god, it makes such a difference. I will never go back to yeah. to that IKEA pan again. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely one of my picks a couple episodes ago, was actually I switched to um, some copper non-stick pans. Yeah. Because I've always been stainless, I still have stainless steel, but like for doing different types of cooking, it's nice to have a nonstick that's not Teflon based because Teflon right. is cancer causing, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. But the copper pan works perfectly, cooks evenly, uh, nonstick. Yeah. Also, another note, I inherited a bunch of pans, pots and pans when I got married from my dad. And they were like old, old school, like <laughs> yeah. probably 20 plus years old at the time I was married. So, like, add 10 more years to that. Uh, so we recently replaced those uh, in the beginning of the pandemic as well. <laughs> so I was on on that track too. It's a bliss to 
cook after that, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Turns the pandemic into a pun of some kind. But. <laughs> that was almost too easy. <laughs> I know. Well, on that note, uh, yeah. I'll have to end it there because you just one-upped me on the dad jokes. I had zero dad jokes. I've got two kids now. I just have to do them, so, you know. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Jason. And Max, as well, thanks for the conversation about CoScreen. I can't wait to have users give you feedback, try it out. I'll definitely be trying it out. Uh, so I'll, I will be in touch. And uh, listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 